Hi, I'm Colin Sutherland, Executive Vice President uh, with Geotab, and welcome again to another episode of Connected with Geotab, where I interview special guests on trending topics around the world that we hope you find of interest. Um, today, I'm particularly excited because I'm here in Toronto, Canada, but I'm speaking to our guest who is halfway around the planet in Singapore. So we're really excited because as a leading organization, it's essential for Geotab to stay on top of all these industry trends, not just North American trends, but global trends. So today I have with me Deepak Kadambi, who is our general manager for Southeast Asia. And I couldn't be more excited to uh, interview Deepak live from Singapore. Welcome Deepak, how are you? Thanks for the generous introduction, Colin. I'm I'm really well, and I'm excited to look uh, excitedly looking forward to chatting with you as well. Oh, thank you so much. We, we've we've known each other for a few years now. Just kind of interacted at various global trade shows. I think one was in the Middle East. A couple may have been in India. Um, although you've personally lived around the world and you've had quite an interesting ca career. Let's start off just by sort of reviewing. How did you get into telematics to begin with, how, or the technology trade to begin with, and uh, where is your career taking you around the world? And uh, let's let's get a kick off on your journey. How has your journey gone so far, and why does your journey land you in Singapore today? Fantastic. So uh, I was born and raised in India. Did my bachelor's uh, of civil engineering in India. Came to the U.S. to do my master's in transportation. So uh, telematics obviously has a lot to do with transportation. So my journey with anything that was related to transportation and telematics started right after my master's. Uh, actually, in my master's, I was doing some intelligent transportation uh, projects as well. So I spent the first few years after my master's doing roadway design initially and then doing a lot of transportation optimization, which is basically timing signals for states and and cities in Texas, right? And then did a lot of transportation planning, working with ESRI, GIS kind of a thing, uh, where we were projecting traffic projections on uh, new highways that was get, getting built, including this massive initiative called Trans-Texas Corridor. So uh, masters in transportation, doing a lot of ITS, transportation kind of work, and then was also interested in business. So ended up going to Dartmouth, getting my MBA there. I was fortunate to end up with uh, Deloitte, a, a company like Deloitte did uh, a lot of work there, you know, supply chain optimization, M&A, operational efficiency, uh, growth uh, strategy, which is also one of the companies that I did was actually insurance company. I was with uh, a telematics company uh, in the US, uh, initially as um, director of operational efficiency, working through, you know, um, whether it is customer support uh, efficiencies, professional services, and then managed a PNL of a data and analytics business unit. And then most recently was the head of strategy in charge of international expansion, which is where you, uh, you know, uh, had uh, more intimate conversations with you. And serendipitously, uh, you guys were thinking about expansion into Asia. And I was thinking, okay, I've spent a couple of decades on the other sides of the world, North America, South America, a little bit in Europe and so on and so forth, wanted to get back to Asia. So had always, even as a competitor, had a great respect for Geotab uh, as a company in terms of how you guys thought through it, open marketplace, something uh, uh, opening your platform through marketplace, something that none of the other telematics companies does. 
So uh, also my interaction with you was a very positive one. So uh, I said, and our conversations led to me joining you guys here because you guys were planning to expand into Asia. And I'm very, 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 um, you know, uh, bullish about Asia's prospects in general. I know that that while you started with us about one year ago, uh, I think we had we had both hoped your family and and we had hoped that maybe you'd be able to go into the market obviously earlier than than now. You just recently landed in Singapore, I believe, in October. Um, so uh, maybe maybe five or six months delayed, you know, with COVID and what have you, not being able to move so quickly. But I know that you've been actively working with our partners already overseas. But just generally speaking. Like, what do you believe is the is the significance of Geotap having a presence, having personnel now in the region? And uh, what is the significance of Asia as a market as far as, you know, global operations or global opportunities go? So, you know, Asia obviously is the largest continent by size and population, right? So, uh, but then our, even if we look at the, you know, you remove India and China, the big, uh, you know, uh, populations out of the picture, and you focus in on because I'm in Singapore. If you focus in on uh, Southeast Asia itself, that is still about ten percent of the population, right? And pre-COVID, out of the ten countries, seven of them were growing at four and a half percent GDP, right? So it's uh, and as GDP growth improves, the uh, the middle class grows, and uh, the middle class grows means trade grows, right? Uh, you know. Um, McKinsey, uh, uh, I believe, said that between 2000 to 2017, the intra-region trade in Southeast Asia itself grew fourfold, which is about, what, two, two and a half for the rest of the world, right? More recently, you had the RCEP, or uh, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, with the ASEAN countries, Japan, Australia, Korea, and, and New Zealand. If you have a free trade agreement, that's only going to be even more of a tailwind. So if you look at the GDP growth, the growth of the middle class uh, creates huge consumption. Consumption is a great tailwind for transportation. And so movement of goods and people means you, know, you need to start getting more efficient. So it becomes important, not only for transportation-related com- companies, any global company, it's a market that you want to kind of think about, right? You may choose not to play uh, or uh, play or not play, depending on where you sit. But it's an absolutely important market for uh, any co- any global company to think about because if that's the fastest growing consuming population, you want to be consumed, right? So it's interesting. You, you mentioned um, you know the, the population and the GDP numbers are are really interesting. But I I liked your observation about just the emerging population and that goods have to move. Um, when we look at markets like Latin America, where goods primarily moved by truck because there's not a lot of rail infrastructure. Um, So in the continent of South America, we see a lot of trucks and the dependency on trucks to move goods. Um, I know it's early for you to be physically in the region. However, you have been analyzing the region for several years prior to physically being there. How do you contrast that the commercial movement of goods uh, from your firsthand experience versus maybe some other places in the world where you've worked? While, like, you know, now let's take a look at, you know, Asia's geography, right? Uh, Or I'm going to just focus in on Southeast Asia because that's my uh, focus area. India and China are going to be, you know, uh, large behemoths and they have their own uniqueness. 
India moves significant amount of uh, you know goods through or uh, the in-grade road, railroad network, but even the uh, the road transportation is kind of growing. While in Southeast Asia, right, like if you look at a a country like Indonesia, 16, 17,000 islands, right? You look at Philippines, it's 7,000-ish islands, right? Malaysia, there's uh, the Malaysian Peninsula, there's uh, East Malaysia. But what is unique is like even in Indonesia, if you look at Borneo or Java, Sumatra, you have about four or five islands with large swaths of population. Malaysia, East Malaysia, right? Similar two, three big islands in Philippines. While you may not have, like in Australia, a long haul trucking market like you would have in the US, the vehicle movement is still going to happen, right? There may be, you know, how it happens is, is going to be different, right? Which is why you see a lot of proliferation of like companies like Ninja Van and so on and so forth, right? Like last mile de- delivery picking up. So the goods movement still happens. You may not have, you know, class eight trucks, but you'll have medium-sized trucks and smaller LCVs, so on and so forth in moving these goods. In fact, like, you know, I'm currently in an apartment we took possession. The furniture was delivered to me in a van, right? So it's like, <laughs> so uh, the size of the vehicles would be smaller, but then there is going to be, in my opinion, um, uh, my hypothesis is that there's still going to be a lot of goods moving in on roads, right? If you look at the breakup of the vehicles as well, right? There's a greater volume of, you know, LCVs and MCVs bought than, you know, heavy commercial vehicles. The the urban the density of the population in some cities, specifically in Southeast Asia, like Jakarta, are is incredible. I mean, I've heard because I've not personally been to Jakarta yet, but I have heard that what would typically be a thirty or forty five minute journey in almost any other large city in Jakarta can be three to four hours just because of the density of all the vehicles that are sharing the LCVs, the light commercial, the medium commercial, and the two-wheelers and the pedestrian traffic. So the but goods have to move. And I imagine, is it a 24-hour-a-day cycle? Do you see that goods are being moved or shifted out across the entire 24-hour day in order to allow commercial vehicle traffic to maybe move overnight when during the day? Have you seen any observations about that in the 24-hour cycle? It's a little premature for me to, you know, um, exactly say whether it is a 24-hour uh, journey or not, but your observation is spot on. Seven out of the 11 con- uh, cities with the highest traffic congestion are in Asia, right? Number one is my hometown, which you had some fantastic uh, driving experiences in Bangalore. <laughs> like, <laughs> And so if you look at the set, so there's, you know, your, uh, your hypothesis on traffic congestion um, is pretty spot on in many of these uh, states. I do see in many of these high-density cities like Manila and Indonesia, there is more of that 24-hour cycle that you're talking about, but that is more of my hypothesis not having visited those places yet in, this, in the post-COVID world, so to speak. So. Well, drawing on your previous educational experience, I think it'll be interesting to reflect on that when we have a chance to catch up routinely or maybe in a future podcast, because I think cities around the world are trying to cope with how do 
populations and vehicles and the movement of goods coexist. I think this is something that's a critical discussion for this decade that we're living in, where uh, warehouses, distribution, people, populations, they said, and vehicles, we have to move goods around, but we also have to do it safely. And I know specifically in Southeast Asia that two of the cities have the highest, I think, are ranked number one and number two for traffic fatalities, right? It's a very dangerous thing to be in the back of a motorcycle or to be in traffic. And you've got to be, so safety, traffic safety is a very, very important topic as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there a specific industry segment that maybe, you know, even prior to being there in the marketplace that you're, you know, really interested in diving into, uh, you know, head first um, to see whether we can explore where we have some synergies in the overall market? So typically, I, I would like to say the uh, logistic last mile logis- uh, last mile delivery, middle mile delivery has generally been a very strong, uh, you know, attribute uh, or um, industry for us. Uh, in my opinion, that is uh, especially with uh, in the in the COVID and uh, potentially in the post COVID world, that is one very enticing segment. Uh, for me to watch, right? Like, for example, if you look at a startup like Ninja Van that was just started a few years ago, you see the growth of how they have, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, experienced over the last few years, and especially it almost feels like you know, COVID's been an inflection point in growth for them. And then you look at you know whether it is Grab uh, offering multiple services through their. You know, you know, Grab's not like your typical Uber, right? You open the Grab app, you have food, you have delivery. It's almost like a, a portal. So it's like, you know, you have companies, leasing companies that are leasing their vehicles for people to kind of consume this ride share, whether it is through a Grab or Logic, which is almost like, you know, I see this logistics of people and goods as a very, and then the ride shares services. These two I see as probably the most, uh, you know, uh, attractive segments uh, for us. And this is generally um, also in sync with where Geotab has generally played really strongly as well uh, with, you know, our existing customer base in other parts of the world. We've done really well in the logistics and last mile space, uh, you know, with you know, with our strength in the fleet presence, we've typically done well with leasing companies and so on and so forth. So why uh, it, it's almost serendipitous that the two strength areas for Geotab are the most attractive areas the way I see it at this point in time. It's interesting. Um, let's talk about sustainability. I know that, uh, and you can go as, as deep as you want on the topic. My My observation, of course, from a North American perspective is that um, in Europe, we see a push to remove diesel vehicles from the roads this decade. So we know that our fleet customers that are in Europe are aggressively looking into how can they go electric, not necessarily from the sustainability lens, because quite frankly, they won't have access to diesel vehicles, you know, in several in a few in a few years this this decade. So they must transition to EV. Therefore. They must figure out how they charge those vehicles and what vehicles to purchase. North America, I think, is trying to also cope with the economic reality of uh, electric vehicles being a very positive tool to have and to own and operate because they can be maintained 
less expensively per mile than a combustion engine. Um, when you look at Southeast Asia, how do you see sustainability being um, embraced by the business community? Is it a topic that you know you believe is going to be at the forefront in the next near term, one to five years? And um, are there is there any evidence of electric vehicles being adopted right now in the region? Uh, let me give you an interesting fact, right? Yeah, uh, in this past year, Thailand outsold EVs more than Brazil and Australia, right? Like uh, there is an, another interesting factoid that in the Southeast Asian region, people, uh, more than half the people were willing to pay more than 21% for an electric vehicle compared to a conventional vehicle. These are very, very revealing facts about not only vehicle purchase patterns, but also you know, personal choices on you know, uh, likelihood of purchase, right? So the, if we can just park those two factoids aside, uh, you know, in my opinion, Southeast Asian countries probably don't get as much credit on how forward-thinking they are when it comes to electric vehicles. Right, you know the same kind of things that we, uh, you know, uh, we talked about earlier. Right, whether it is traffic congestion, whether it is safety, and and so on and so forth. Right, uh, you know, companies are, you know, if you look at uh, uh, almost every single customer we go talk to, they are always talking about, hey, how do I optimize for fuel? Right. So as they're thinking about these things, then the the prospect of EV becomes you know, the underlying prospect of EV becomes more strong, right? And if you're thinking about how EV adoption might happen, it probably, it gets it gets a great deal of push if governments are more open, right? Last year, Singapore government, uh, the, the deputy prime minister said that by... 2040, they are going to phase out IC vehicles and the vehicles are completely going to run on clean energy, right? Need, need to kind of dig deep into, you know, what exactly they have in mind. But then it's not just the Singapore government. Singapore government's obviously forward-looking and so on and so forth, right? Thailand, right, for example, which is probably outside of Japan, one of the bigger automotive manufacturing hubs. Thailand plans to... Uh, said that by 2030, 30% of all the uh, uh, total production capacity is going to be dedicated to EV, right? And then Indonesia, which is, you know, which is starting to compete as an automotive hub for, uh, uh, for, for the crown of the automotive hub from, uh, to take it away from Thailand, they said they are going to um, say hit that 20%, they're planning to hit that 20% EV production mark by 2025. Right. So these are like, as you think about EV adoption, not only from a consumer perspective on who's buying and, and so on and so forth, but even from a policy perspective, right, the, the governments are taking much more forward stance than you would expect uh, and probably more than other regions. The other thing is. You know, one thing we briefly alluded to as we were talking about the uniqueness of Asia, right? Uh, you know, if, if you're looking at a fleet in, in, 
in Europe, you're looking at car trucks and vans. In, if you're looking at fleets in Asia, you're looking at car trucks, vans, bike scooters, right? And so, um, you know, there are you know a couple of logistics companies that we have spoken to that have 20, 30,000 vehicles, but 70% of them are, you know, two-wheelers, right? So now, even within the two-wheeler segment, if you look at, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the research reading, they said the electric two-wheelers and electric three-wheelers is going to start representing a big share of the electric vehicles sold in the region. So all of these things, right, uh, are extremely good, uh, you know, um, forces that are going to influence the EV adoption, both from a, a buyer, a consumer a, a perspective, but even from a government perspective. And hence, even as things are as fleets are starting to think about how their vehicle mix is going to be in the future, because of you know if. 30% of vehicles are uh, are being sold. That means 30% of the electric vehicles are being bought as well. So the uh, assumption could be that, you know, by correlation that, you know, fleets start becoming more electric vehicle dependent and so on and so forth. So we, uh, our ability to kind of support this mixed fleet of various types of vehicles uh, from a size standpoint and even uh, IC engines and EV becomes that much more powerful. I think it's uh, it's so interesting, Deepak, and the form factor, the literal, the physical footprint, literally, of even a four wheeler in Southeast Asia, because of the width of the roads and the limited curb that's available um, there. I think you've almost optimized that. North America and, quite frankly, even Europe should really pay close attention to the electric vehicles that will be coming out of the region, because of course, electric vehicles don't have to comply with combustion standards by you know, the governments around the world, so you don't have to certify a specific make and model for combustion reasons, electric vehicles are much more global. And um, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see the form factor as cities in Europe and North America try to cope with the real estate at the curb. And we should be paying very, very close attention to that. And I think we'll be looking to you um, specifically to offer up some of that advice. It's really very, very interesting. I feel in general, right? Like when you have complex, um, systems that need to be supported by simple solutions, it creates an opportunity for reverse innovation regardless, right? It's like, you know, um, you know for example, if you, uh, you know, if you're creating a routing tool, for example, and you don't know uh, the exact street address, you get creative on that, right? So your routing algorithm becomes more, much more uh, attuned. Similarly, you know, you have to uh, facilitate for smaller roads, even smaller parking, uh, right? Like, for example, uh, you've seen the challenges of, uh, you know, parking a vehicle in Asia, right? So how does the vehicle shape evolve in order to facilitate that? All of these things are very curious things for us to pay attention to. Um, so as we sort of wrap up, so let's do a, a reflection on, um, because we're just you know, new in, in, to, in terms of having physical people there. Although we do have partners right now that have been active in Southeast Asia for, you know, well over five years. Um, what do you want our future partners and future customers to know about Geotab and our presence in the region? Yeah, so 
you know, ABI ranked us as the number one telematics company in the world, right? Uh, you know, we have what two point more than two point one uh, vehicles um, that use our devices. Uh, we are in one hundred and thirty countries, right? But what separates us is the fact that we focus on product and technology, which makes us, uh, you know, we don't worry that much about how are we going to commercialize that because of our go-to-market models, which allows us to focus on technology. I think with that comes a little bit of humility, and I want to bring that to the region, right? We may have 2.1 million vehicles, 130 countries, but, you know, we've been in the region, but we are humble enough to know that we are here to come and learn and potentially share our knowledge, right? It's having a unique privilege of a startup, of you know, being having the excitement to learn about a new market, uh, you know, understand what the market needs are and modify our you know offerings and so on and so forth to kind of meet those market needs. But at the same time, having that you know wealth of technological heft behind us to have rich conversations that we can potentially contribute to customers on brainstorming ways in which we've solved it in say Latin America or Europe and so on and so forth. So. I look at this as learn, modify, grow uh, uh, with the help of our partners, with the help of uh, you know the knowledge that we gain in the region. So that's what I want to know. And I, I think uh, you know, uh, it would be remiss if I did not mention that how supportive of that mindset the Geotab uh, you know, leadership team has been. And it almost feels like it's the same DNA and trying to use the same DNA to kind of in uh, you know, come land, learn, grow kind of a mentality that we want to bring into our partners here. Yeah, and thank you for that. I think as a platform provider, um, you know, we don't, we're not here on this planet with 2.1 million or and fast growing uh, vehicle population out there. We believe we'll be closing in on about 3 million total vehicles in a matter of another two years. So it took us so many years, I think 18 years to get to the first 1 million, took us two more years to get to 2 million, you know, probably take us another couple of years to get to 3 million. But I think the next 1 million that we get will be heavily leveraging our platform. So we welcome our OEM partnerships. We've got brand new North American OEM partnerships where we're working with the car makers and the truck manufacturers to engage their data and pull them into our system. So I'm really quite excited about the ability to connect to the two wheelers, three wheelers, four wheelers, 18 wheelers, and bring in that data into our systems. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I will also welcome our, or encourage our, our listeners here to stay up to date with our fleet news and your writing at geotop.com forward slash blog. Also in our Absolutely. community website, our community website is fantastic. So partners, resellers around the world can come into our community uh, website, geotab.community and get expert answers to fleet questions and also ask questions that, Maybe you'll personally be answering on advice for global partners that might be in North America, Europe, asking you questions about how do I, how do I, you know, expand just the region, Deepak? Give me some advice. And I know that you're going to be up for that. So thank you again, Deepak, for joining us today. And um, look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. And it has been a pleasure talking to you, Colin. Thank you very much, Deepak. Yeah, I appreciate it very much.